Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting. Welcome to Bakersfield Observe with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the new Bakersfield Observe podcast recorded right here at the American General Media offices off California Avenue and Highway 99. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. You can also get it on kernradio.com. And today, a special welcome. Welcome back an old friend of the program, Leticia Perez, District 5 supervisor since 2012, who recently stunned the local political establishments by saying she would not run for Re-election. We're going to get into that. A little bit about Leticia. She leaves quite a legacy on the board. She was the lone Democrat on a board that she had, had often found herself as the odd supervisor out on votes. She was the first Latina to head the State Association of Counties. Congratulations for that. She's been a leading advocate for a surprise, surprise for a Democrat, the fossil fuel industry in looking at ways that we can go get off fossil fuels in a sober and predictable way. And all of that, of course, comes as the mid calls to shut by her own party to shut it down. And she was widely expected to run for a seat in the state assembly being vacated by Rudy Salas, who's running against David Valadeo. We will talk to her about that course she's had her share of controversy we all know if we recall she was charged with two misdemeanors for failing to disclose a conflict of interest when she voted on a marijuana ordinance while her husband was representing a business interested in the cannabis business here we will get into that and more but first we welcome leticia perez back to the podcast how well, are you thank you so very much richard what an illustrious career it has been here and and let me just tell you the safe and civil space that you have used your privilege your reputation and your progeny to create here is absolutely priceless and will always be an absolute highlight of my public service to Kern County. You're very kind you're very kind but you and I have talked we'll get into that this concept of a you know, safe space, a civil space, a purple space, the purple country. We'll get into that uh, going forward. I get a let, Let's get right to it. Uh, you're not running for re-election. What was that about? Well, you know, it's a little early, right, to declare about 2024. So, you know, I, I may have put the cart before the horse on that one, but it was an honest statement and authentically how I feel about my tenure on the Board of Supervisors. You know, I've served now, Richard, a decade on the Board of Supervisors, which is actually the combined years of both of my predecessors, Michael Rubio and Pete Parra. Is that right? Pete having served four, Michael leaving mm. the middle of his second term to go to the Senate. And of course, that was a total of 10 years. So I, I would have done the combined years of, of both of those predecessors, both of whom I learned from and both of whom 
contributed to the fifth district in incredible mm-hmm. ways. And and now you see an entire generation, Richard Bean, many of whom you have helped shape in both idea and substance, right, about Kern County, who we are and how we do things better. Uh, Christian Romo and Alex Garcia and Eric Arias and Kelsey Taylor. I mean, there is just a whole host of these young people that have put the time in, Richard. They've learned. They have you know, been mentored out of my office directly for half a decade in some, mm-hmm. instances, in some instances. So I feel really good, Richard, about the hands that are coming up to do the very important work of actual public service, right? Not names in lights. That has its place, Mm -hmm. certainly, in the business of politics. But the heart, right, the formation of a heart uh, to be in an actual posture of servitude, recognizing that, you know, you are beneath the people that you serve. Right. That I think we've done a good job of. So I feel good, Richard, about transitioning from the board and, frankly, giving others an opportunity to have their name and lights. I'd like to get into that whole kind of concept of a generational change. You know, when you think of generations normally being 20 years, but here's 10 years and kind of people going in. But yet you're, you're 45 years old yourself. You're not by any stretch of the imagination near the end of what people would consider a normal political career or contributions. So I go back to you, you know, other than what you just told me, uh, why, why is your time done? It's interesting, Richard. I've had an incredible period of soul searching this last year of really getting to know myself again, frankly, coming out of a pretty traumatic few years of, mm-hmm. of really trying to figure out you know, what my place is in this community, mm-hmm. my family, right? What is our place in this community? Can we play a constructive role? Because things change, Richard, with time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything has its point of diminished return, as you will. So the, if you will. So the last year, I really had to ask myself some tough questions, Richard. My utility to this community, uh, you know, problems and the distractions they have posed for either, you know, the party that ostensibly represents me, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I've really looked at myself, uh, taken a close look at the mirror. I haven't liked everything I've seen, Richard, I'll be honest well, with you. What, what triggered this this inner reflection on you? was, And how much of this was were the problems you had with the DA's office? You know, largely. And, and can I say that I believe that experience, while harrowing, has resulted in a net benefit to me and my family because we have really, really hit rock bottom. That's, mm-hmm. that's an honest statement. Having uh, actually experienced it, I can say I'd never done hit rock bottom before or since. Thankfully, I'm what getting was it like farther and farther from bottom. that. Talk to me about that. I'll tell you, it's it's really the full confrontation and acceptance that we are alone, mm-hmm. and that we really not in a in Did a you feel in a dystopic by way. your friends during this this period. I felt pretty abandoned, truthfully. Mm-hmm. And and that that's part of the pity party nature of going through a tough time because the reality is everybody has hard times, mm-hmm. right? Lots of people have major struggles with their DAs, if you will, mm-hmm. right? With understanding their mm-hmm. own behavior, or the implications of perceptions or whatever, right? This is not an uncommon experience in and of mm-hmm. itself. Uh, but certainly I felt very much alone. And I felt, you know, really abandoned by people that I really expected to be heroic. And and that is an important life lesson. Yeah. It, one in not expecting things from people because 
people don't owe you anything, right? The reality is, is we don't owe each other anything. That mm-hmm. what we give out of love and out of grace, you know, we should be so grateful for, mm-hmm. but really nobody owes us anything. So I had a little growing up to do on that part, Richard. Mm. Uh, but also in that, you can't help but ask yourself, how? what's my place in this? Am I important here right, in this right, community? Right. Does my life matter? Do the lives of my family matter, Richard? And and should that play in to the analysis of what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? I'll tell you, it's been a great period, Richard, and I'm grateful for well, it. Let me ask you, did, did you have a, a counselor, a, a, a shrink, a, somebody, a rabbi to talk? I mean, <laughs> these are deep questions about you. I mean, you're, you're talking about fundamental questions about what is my worth and what is my value and what what is my meaning here to my family as opposed to public service. These are like, as you say, rock bottom questions. Who, who did you turn to? You know, we have a beautiful garden. You've, you've seen I've it. Been in it's your garden, even right? more gorgeous now than it has ever been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spent a lot of time mm-hmm. in the garden thinking, being yeah. alone, right. um, listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very hard to be alone. Right. We're not used to it. We like the television. We like music. We like to go, go, You go. are a person who feeds off the energy of others, I would think. You, you know, know I do. Cool. And I love the social component of being with others. So having to, one, became, become isolated because a lot of people don't know how to react. They have mm-hmm. their own fears. They have their own whatever that's guiding their reaction to what we experienced. Mm-hmm. And that is its own treasure of of experience i mm-hmm. promise you and i'm not upset with anyone or angry at anyone but it does realign your sense of friendship yeah, and right. your sense of family because you take somebody like donnie youngblood who is you know in the, as an outsider's categorizing of people in boxes which mm-hmm. is very normal in american society mm-hmm. you would some people would like to place him into a box and say he would never be friends with the Leticia Perez, right. or they would never look each other in the face and be honest or give each other some mutual respect mm-hmm. or civility. And the, and the reality is, uh, Richard, and I, I don't mean this out of bitterness, I promise you, but I just think it's a great opportunity to learn when so many of my Latino friends or Democratic friends were sort of shivering in the corner, mm-hmm. you know, Donnie Youngblood got on the radio and said, that's my friend and yeah. this is a good person. Right. And, it, and it, you know, it was such a moment of pause for me. One, two have to reevaluate that relationship, who he is, and many, many people who are just like my mm-hmm. sheriff or who have very similar opinions about the world. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that relationship really? How much of this, you know, angst we feel is is so much bluster originating from fear or a right. sense that we're going to be left out or we're not, you know, there's a train that we're not on. I really feel like that that fuels so much of our angst with each other. And and that relationship in particular through the lowest time of my life thus far, who knows what the future holds. Yeah. But certainly up to now, that was that was the lowest point of experience. And to have somebody like that, of that stature and of that So you found out through this who your real friends were? You know, I found out who people are. Okay. You really get a sense about people's strengths, their weaknesses, and their character, and you, mm-hmm. you discover that really it has nothing to do with you, that people really are who they are. And it's why I love and why I'm obsessing right now about this two-part series on Thomas Jefferson where mm-hmm. they talk about what, you know, the, the really the inner workings of a person really struggling with leadership, trying to figure out, 
you know, who should lead? Is it aristocracy? Is it, have we, mm-hmm. what is it exactly that determines a great leader and puts somebody in a good position? I mean, certainly looking at the monarchy in, in the UK, we can see that, you know, not all leaders are created equal, right? Not all. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> hold know, that thought. Hold your Jefferson Adams thought. We're going to get back into that. I want to, I want to wrap this thing up about your troubles with the DA's office, which basically the charges have, have been dropped. There was a settlement. You had to pay a fine. That's behind you now, It's right? all behind us, Okay, yes. all right. Did you feel singled out? Did you feel like that, that and I don't want to make this about Leticia Perez against Cynthia Zimmer, but did, sure. you, did you feel that this is really not fair to charge me something like this when Councilman Bob Smith had had a similar <laughs> incident involving his failure to disclose his interest in some developments downtown and voting and nothing was done to him. Did you feel singled out? Let me say this, Richard. I think, unfortunately, the institution of the district attorney Mm -hmm. in so many places and at different times in history are very, very political in nature. And that's a result of sort of art imitating life, if you will, right? We have an increasingly polarized community. We have increasingly fearful people, right? And I think as a result of that, me being a different person, I'm different. Okay? I'm mm-hmm. different for the Democrats. I'm different for the, the GOP mm-hmm. here, right? It's one of the reasons we connect because you're different mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're tr- and, and I think most Americans fit somewhere in the middle. You're tough to put it in a box. Well, and, and frankly, mm-hmm. Richard, most Americans do not fit in some box. They really mm-hmm. don't. You so and I talked extensively. So, so about, I right, think, right. you know, I think that I that experience came during a very heightened political, you know, angst field community. It was the first contested DA race in 30 years. Mm-hmm. I took a side, other people took sides. And you know, those things really polarize communities. I think they're so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And and I think that to the best that we can. Richard, we should demand as an American society, as a purple center people, uh, that our institutions of district attorneys, our institutions of justice not be politicized for anybody at any time for any reason. And I think I am, you know, came in one of those time periods. It was sort of a Trump craze and mm-hmm. a law and order kind of frenzy. And, you know, we've got all this Black Lives Matter stuff and people are in the streets right. and they're angry and they're wanting to be heard, right, on all sides. That That is, you know, as I say, art imitating life. So do I think those institutions are too political? Yes, I do. And, and I think we have to work really hard to hold each other accountable so that the people we elect in those positions understand that what you do impacts everybody in this community, impacts our our opinions about justice, about access to justice, and, and it creates, you know, a social contract that is dysfunctional right. when it as it relates to certain people. So I, I just want to say that you know, yes, I think that was very political, and I think it remained political because of the nature of the period that we're in, right. and because we don't know how to expect and demand more of our leaders, and we need to. Tell me about when you joined the board in, in 2012, that you were the only woman, you're certainly the only Democrat, you're in a very, very conservative area with, you know, let's face it, a, you know, a, a, a pretty extensive good old boys network, you know? People know each other. It's there. It exists today. Tell me about when you look back on the on the decade, the hardest things about it. And did you always feel like you were a fish out of water to some degree? You know, I'll tell you, the real divide on that board is male-female. I really believe that. And, and not in an ugly way. I, I don't mean that 
Uh, really, I don't. From a matter of perspective? From, a, from, you know, many people are not used to seeing women in power or women having power. That's really uncomfortable because it's different. What does it mean? What kind of woman are you? What kind of mother leaves their kids at home? Mm -hmm. I think real people ask those questions authentically mm -hmm. because of the way in which gender stereotypes are so sort of handed down. You don't down. think that's a They're misogynistic question? Like, you know, uh, what is she doing up here? Why, why, why isn't she home tending to her children? Sure, that's one term you yeah. can put on it. Right. It's also a very natural question that I think people okay. really Fair ask. Enough. That they, you know, go, what kind of woman mm -hmm. isn't at home mm -hmm. and is out hobnobbing with power? I mean, really, it is really a big question. Yeah. It is. And and I have really tried to answer that what I think is an What's your answer criticism. to that question if somebody asks you? You know, my, my honest question is I think women make great leaders. Not all. Mm -hmm. I mean, right, we, we wouldn't elect Krilla DeVille just because, <laughs> right? I mean... Some might certainly, say we have in the past. Certainly, you know? <laughs> there, there are those characters right here in our own community. Yeah. Yeah. But the truth is, is that women make really great leaders often, uh, not all the time, but often because we socialize differently. We don't, I think, have the same kind of expectation on our ego and masculinity that society puts on men. Mm -hmm. Men have a lot of pressure, right, to just be in charge and make sure the women are okay and the children are okay and, you know, that everything feels good mm -hmm. and strong. That's a lot of pressure. I think that's a mistake because it's not honest. Mm -hmm. We're all just human beings. Those gender roles are complete constructs. They do tend to be male-oriented. They do tend to, you know, orient us towards a male-driven mm -hmm. society. So what, I, what I'm grateful for is the privilege to have been a woman on that board. I had a child while being supervisor, right. Yeah. right? Um, right? I remember uh, I had a series of miscarriages trying to produce mm -hmm. Noah. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Jude and then three miscarriages, oh. one in which I almost died right here. I didn't ended know up, that. Came to at Kern Medical, almost bled to death, right? Came to, and of course, who's in the room? My CEO of the hospital, his assistant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is different. I'm not sure they're used to yeah. dealing with their boss in a position of kind of female right. you know, vulnerability, if you will. And as yeah. awkward as those moments have been, I promise you they have not been fun. I really think they've been opportunities to learn, Richard. For the men in particular, for the men to see a woman doing something differently, right. not because I want to be out running around or partying. I mean, there's nothing wrong. That's not my business with people who do that. But I have tried hard to demonstrate to my colleagues through my lifestyle that there are other roles for women to play that you don't have to necessarily be afraid of or it doesn't necessarily have to impose on you as a man. You know, because I'm married and I want my marriage to work and I make many sacrifices towards, as my, as my husband does, mm -hmm. to keep our unit together, to keep it strong, to keep it, you know, functioning mm -hmm. well and, mm -hmm. and as, as Jefferson says, in modest prosperity, right, as Americans, moving along in modest prosperity together, you know, as a unit supporting yeah. each other. Well, well, so so I think that's been a privilege. Well, you, you talked about the next generation, uh, whether it's, it, it's some folks who work w with you or whomever. What, what advice would you give a, a young Democratic, particularly a woman, or it could be Christian or whoever, taking, taking your spot on the supervisor? What, what would you tell them after what you've been through in the last decade? You know, we've been very clear in simplicity, hard work wins every time. 
It wins every time, Richard. Mm -hmm. In particular, moral courage. Mm -hmm. Hard work and moral courage will get you farther than anybody with privilege, wealth, or there's nothing wrong with those things, Richard. Mm -hmm. People with privilege and wealth that also work their tail off and have moral courage are... Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's the cream of the crop, right, right? right? But you don't have to have all of that to make us to make your mark in the world, to put your brick in, in in place. And I'll tell you, I really am incredibly inspired, and I continually remind myself of the founders of this country, uh, George Washington in particular, who could have been king, who was asked to be the new king of the Americas because he was seemed to be the kind of man who could be a good king. Mm -hmm. But he understood fully there's no such thing a as king. a good king right. because power corrupts. And without the institutions of, of aggressive checks and balances, power corrupts mm -hmm. and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I don't care if you're male, female, brown, black, absolutely. purple, yellow. It, 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 that is yeah, yeah. what power does. That is the nature of power. And it's what makes the American experiment so intellectually exciting and so historically out of this world. And yes, exceptional. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> it is, my Good friends. to hear you that. It Good is, to hear you say is. that. Well, talk, talk to me about what and we we are going to get back to Jefferson and Adams because I think that's a good, I do want to talk about that but let's talk about you what's next you're not running for for re-election right people said well Leticia is waiting for Rudy Salas to do something else and you'd slip into the assembly seat well Rudy Rudy Salas is running for the 21st congressional seat uh, the last I I know we have some reapportionment uh, uh, redistricting I mean uh, going on. Are you in or out? Great question. You know, the first maps that came out for the assembly seat, th and that, of course, had always been a pathway to consider. In this business, though, Richard, it changes sometimes monthly. Okay. The possibilities, your own family situation changes, right? Mm -hmm. Your own family needs, your community needs change. So it really is the kind of business that is truly a timing business. Mm-hmm. The timing has to work for you. It has to work for your family. And it has to work really for the community. So when I saw that my house was cut out of the first assembly maps, I mean, I was both hurt. It was cut out of the assembly district. Yes. Okay. So I was both a little hurt because it's hard right. not to take such things sure. personal. And I was also... Not, excuse me. That's not a mistake when, when all of a sudden a person expected to run finds that they're cut out of the district. Those are deliberate actions. Let's just... I'll Aren't tell they? you, Richard, in this business, it is so hard to know when something it is. I've stopped trying to figure it out. Mm. It's it's really hard. I do think, however, that those kind of bodies, like the way I talked about the district attorney's institution sort of being art imitating life. Mm. I do think there are the commissions. This is a bipartisan one. It's got Republicans, it's got Democrats, it's got independent people. They t it tends to be reflective, like a jury pool, if you will, of mm -hmm. sort of what's happening in the environment, what's happening. And, and the way I looked at it intellectually, personally, I was hurt, I'll be honest. But why, the way I looked at it intellectually was, you know, this is where a group of 18 Californians that are not ostensibly beholden to a political party, mm -hmm. think about the layout of the, of the numbers. I haven't seen the numbers. I don't know the numbers. Mm. If that's where they're at, I 100% accept that. Uh, I accept it. I, I took it as a bit of a political, 
you know, slight that well, the, sure. that 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 some powerful people in the capital to the extent that they could control such thing. And I actually don't know. I'm being honest. I don't actually know. Okay. Um, to the extent that I'm a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't, I don't. How many do, times have you I, thought that? Am I a problem? I'll tell you, I have issues with authority, Richard B. That's really, really is my fundamental challenge in the world, and I'm working on it. I promise you. But I'll tell you, elected office presents the perfect opportunity for the nonconformist. Really, mm. it does. Because I'll tell you, of all the people in my life who have smiled in my face and said, "We got your back," you know, my voters have really, really proven it. Yeah. You know, and people like Donnie and others that give me hope yeah. about this kind of civil space where we go, let's not listen to the high, to right. the headlines. Let's right. let's just and, and frankly, it isn't my seat. None of these seats belong to right. anybody. They are they belongs entirely to the people. Now, in that vein, Richard, as soon as that happened, I got a huge reaction from members leaders around the state. And what were they saying? You know, they were very hopeful that I would stay in the political arena mm-hmm. and that I would not step out. I was kind of surprised, actually, mm-hmm. the amount of conservatives who came to me. I had this wonderful interaction at the Cattlemen's Dinner. Oh. After the announcement on Tuesday, I had a gentleman come over, and he was very clear about his political leanings. He mm-hmm. he knows who he is, and mm-hmm. they were very different than what he believes mine to be. Yeah. But what a gentleman. He came over and said, I heard you're not running. I just wanted to say thank you so much for everything you've done for Kern County. And I'll tell you, I overplayed my hand because I feel bad, right? I don't want to ever feel like I'm abandoning my yeah, post here right. because I, I love what I do. But there, next to me was a table with Christian and some others. And I said, well, I just want to assure you, you know, we're raising up a next generation of Good moderate Democrats, you know, he goes, well, look, I don't do Democrats, okay? <laughs> he was dead serious. I was like, oh, shucks, I screwed that up. But he said, look, I don't, no, 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 we don't, we're not going to talk about that. But I just want you to know I like you and I appreciate what you've done oh, for Kern nice. County. And, you know, those moments just, they, they really solidify for me and remind me to ignore the headlines and look at the people because I think Kern County is Americana all the way. It is... It is a, excuse me, <clears throat> microcosm, if you will, of the country. I believe it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And like I, I often slight, lightly tell my friends in Sacramento, you know, down here in Kern County, our Mexicans and Okies fall in love. <laughs> it so happens. True. Not all of them, so but it happens. Yeah. It's happened in my own family. I have, you know, my, I have cousins who are, you know, mixed with beautiful, beautiful, deep-rooted Oki Kern County mm-hmm. families. And, you know, we're so blended at this point. This yeah. idea that somehow we're going right. to live in different paths. I mean, we, you know, we have, we have shared blood we, on t- this t- soil. T- tell me, uh, I'm, not, I'm not done pursuing your, your plans for the future, but tell me about where this, how did you come to this position where you, once again, we, we talk about the Purple Center and, and, and Leticia and I talk about that, how, how the red state and the blue states, the, the, the idea that blended together, we have more in common than we do uh, separating us. And is there a purple component to, to life that the basic ideas of happiness, I want my children to do well, I want to be healthy, I want all children in school to do well, uh, all, of these, all of these things that, that unite us instead of divide us, you have brought that to 
Did you bring that to your position out of necessity because you thought the only way I can survive as a Democrat is to be more in the middle? Or did you do it because that's the way you see our world? It's been an evolution. And as I've told you before, Richard, losing that Senate race was a big deal. That was a very partisan race. That was I got 2013, very, right after was, you were elected, that's right? That's correct. Yeah, so right. it was my first year on the board. So almost a decade ago at this point, if you can mm. believe that, Richard. Wow. So that was really a life-shattering experience. Even though I should have lost by 15 points, when you get consumed in that world, mm -hmm. and plus my parents had always told me as a young child that you know I've had this great calling on my life that I mean really had invested me with this idea, mm. and I'd and I'd come to believe that this Senate race was somehow reflective of that, which is really funny to think about now. But I, I really had a hard fall after that loss. I became very depressed, which really? is, I don't yeah. usually uh, mm -hmm. struggle with depression. I have other struggles, of course. That's not one of mine. And I was really in a dark space. And I had to make a decision because I love the business of politics and I love governing. I, I just love it. But I knew that I was had one foot in the grave. And you could see it when you go to the grocery store and your friends don't recognize you anymore. Ooh. Okay? You could see that, you know, you just ha kind of have a black cloud over you, right? You're not that winner. You're not you on the You caught a lot of heat for that. She was just elected to the soups. And here days. she goes, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, I think, if, I think men get away with that kind of thing yeah. a lot easier. Let me just okay. say that, Richard. Right. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, it was, it was, a, it was risky and it, it played out the way it did. I have no regrets. Richard. Mm -hmm. But coming out of that, I really had to have the come to Jesus, if you will, and said, you're losing and you're becoming irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide whether you're going to continue down that path and mm -hmm. one foot in the grave, or you're going to figure out how to survive. And that really meant really humbling myself and getting back to the table with people that you know, we're very different than me. Mike Turnipsey, that's how our relationship began. You know, our, of course, relationship flourished during that same kind of mm -hmm. pressure, if you will, mm -hmm. to survive politically. Yeah. So really, initially, it was much more pragmatic of my desire to not be a loser. And I just could not accept any narrative of my life that wasn't what my parents had told me from the time. You know, I, I spent the first two years of my life in a seminary chair underneath their desk in Bible college with them going, you know, clearly yeah, right. the Lord has given us. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you believe it, you believe it. And they convinced me of it. And so that really felt like a major setback. I see now was the best thing that could have happened to me. I would have gone up to the Capitol. I would have gone farther away from my family, frankly. Mm -hmm. I would have gotten more in the party scene. Mm -hmm. I, I know exactly now where that trajectory goes. Mm -hmm. And not to judge anybody that has a lifestyle that way, I don't really care what they do. I care what I do and mm -hmm. what impact that has on my children So and my family. So I really had to get back to the table and look people in the face and be honest. And in so doing, I realized how much wealth of knowledge, of opportunity, of expertise. You know, in a in a red county, having to get back in as a dem and cut my teeth in that environment, it just shaped a different kind of politician, a different mm. leader. And I'm super lucky for it because around the state, people always ask me the same thing. Very partisan actors will ask me, mm -hmm. "How do you do? How do you get your sheriff's endorsement?" And you're on with Richard Bean, the C former CEO of Bakersfield, California, and he seems like a reasonable guy too. Mm -hmm. Now that I listen to him, mm -hmm. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. these are conversations go around around the state, and and I and I say, well, I was very humbled. One, 
So I'm gracious for that because mm -hmm. sometimes you can't see the world around you very clearly when right. everybody's, you know, telling you you're so great. Right. Right. I mean, and, and that this moment in time is just destiny and somehow you're entitled to it. Well, clearly you're not, yeah. not in this business. Uh, but, and, and that has been good. I, I, I like to remind them losing on that scale. That was a $10.6 million loss. Whoa. It was the biggest, most expensive election in the 13, 14 California cycle. It was a big deal. It I was for the supermajority for California. Okay. It was a big deal. The yeah, Koch brothers right. played in it. Okay. Right. So right. not a small deal to lose it. it. It really felt ugly. Now I look back at it and I see the beauty of having to be humbled that way and having the wherewithal to climb out and, and people like you willing to go, sure, I'll listen to you. Mm -hmm. What do you got? Tell me yeah. something I haven't right. heard. Right, right. All right. Well, let's go forward. So uh, let's talk about Rudy's old district. Uh, if it turns out that your residence is in the district, will you run for it? You're so good, Richard, and so bad. <laughs> Look, the first time my house was cut out and frankly accepted that from the universe, I really did, Richard, mm -hmm. it felt really good for about 10 minutes, yeah, you know, right. and then, then it did feel so good right away, if you will. Right. But really, um, the maps are not done till December. Uh, 27th or 28th. So mm -hmm. really, I cannot have a concrete answer. Mm -hmm. And it's a little premature to say anything about it before the maps are done. So okay. what I'm, I'm hearing is you haven't ruled it out at all. In fact, you are you're you're you are actively it's not inaccurate to say that that soon to be former supervisor Leticia Perez is is waiting on uh, the final version of the reapportionment map, and if 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 possible, she will likely run for the seat. Is that you're inaccurate? So, you're so good. I am waiting for that. The my home was drawn back in. Mm -hmm. It is a Kern County seat. Okay. It is the seat of a of a lifetime. It's a dream seat mm -hmm. for the people, Richard, that I have devoted my life to. The people that my parents have devoted their life to. You know, multi generationally here. There is a seat, it would appear, that yeah. encompasses all of those areas that we have devoted, you know, half a century to my family in this community. And if uh, the good Lord wills it, and that map is what it is right now on December 28th, well, you know, I'm going so to I'm have to throw my hat in the ring. You are. Okay. You will be running for the dream seat. If your seat, if You're it is so bad, Richard, no, Richard, we, we, we so need to clear this up. I mean, I didn't know if, if this conversation was going to be like the, the Leticia Perez political obituary or the what's next. I suspected it's what's next because you were young, you've established yourself, you have an important voice. Can we go back to this, this voice again, this kind of purple center thing? Because I think it's important and it's important because on a national, the model on the national scale which is reflected in certain representatives locally, is one of divide and conquer. You know, just say no, right? Just say no to to demonize, to uh, uh, to resort to vitriol. You have chosen a path that is not being reflected now on the national scale, certainly, and maybe you you have made it more so on the local scale than the national scale talk to me about what you know why is that so important for your constituents because i think so much of the fear and partisan nonsense is bluster mm -hmm. 
I so believe it, Richard. I had the most incredible experience at the White House, surrounded by Trumpers, while President Trump was in office, that completely solidified for me what I honestly believe about Americans. The vast majority of us, white, black, brown, are right in the center. Mm -hmm. The vast majority do not feel reflected by either party. You know, Bono said to Larry King 25 years ago on Larry King Live, in talking about his faith mm -hmm. that was real, his Catholic faith that was real but not reflected necessarily in organized religion, mm -hmm. without saying a negative word about any particular institution or people, he said, you know, organized religion, he says to Larry King, a secular Jewish guy. He says, organized religion is what happens when God has left the building. Ooh. <laughs> oh. I feel I feel like partisan politics is what happens when when God has left My the building. My producer just grimaced over uh, there. Right? The I mean, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fabulous criticism by who I think is the coolest Catholic mm -hmm. in North America. You know, he's like, look at this guy with honest faith. Yeah, yeah. He will not... He will not mince words about his honest faith and his creator and, mm -hmm. and what he has done with his life. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of his. Mm -hmm. but, but I think partisan politics is what happens when God has left the building. And I'll tell you, Richard, it has always been this way. Always. Mm -hmm. From day one. It has been a real struggle, and it has been very nasty politically. Please, please watch this Ken, Bar Ken Burns two-part series on Thomas Jefferson. And the okay, wild, let's get into that. wild so this shenanigans. Is, new, is this new out? You know who Ken Burns is. He's yes, the ultimate course, historian. Right, he right. does a t he does an incredible series. The Civil series. War, the you know, yes. baseball series. And those are War, very long. Yeah. This is two parts. Two parts. You will fall in love with the American spirit in a way that you never have well, before. Well, talk to me, because there's not a lot of people in love with the American spirit. In fact, it's, it's fashionable now to, to say that, you know, uh, well, you, you know what I'm talking about, the, that, that we people, are a flawed country that is tainted by many, many sins, of which there are many, you know, slavery amongst them. And it's popular now to look back and to look back on people like Jefferson and Adams and find flaws in them and, and and imperfect people no doubt this one of my at this stage of my life incredibly comforting to me richard to watch these brilliant american leaders with incredible personal flaws moral misgivings and still get up and demand and and ask of their of the people around them to be devoted to the spirit of the American Revolution. Because of what it says about tyranny and ruling, rulers and power, it's the same stuff, Richard. It's the same stuff. And let me just share with you this incredibly beautiful relationship between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Okay. okay? Otherwise, two powerful white men, landed gentry, okay? Really the same class of people. Right. They should agree wholeheartedly on such thing as what size and scope should the government be? And of course, as best friends, mm -hmm. right? As original purveyors of the Declaration of Independence, their signing of their own death warrant together, they become incredible, they become enemies. For, and for 12 years, don't talk to each other. Why? Because of their disagreements over the size wow. of government. One a Federalist, one an Anti-Federalist. Could didn't, be today, same talk, behavior. Didn't talk for 12 years, and in the twilight of their life, come together and have this beautiful letter-writing relationship, reflecting on what those conflicts were and what they meant and, mm -hmm. why, and why they put so much emotion in one side and how they allowed it to divide their friendship. And I love what Thomas Jefferson says to John Adams. He says, we, I see now that we had a difference of opinion, but not principle. 
We had a difference of opinion and not principle. And he says, I see, and he says, look, you know, we haven't talked for 12 years. I see now that we were the northern and southern poles of the American Revolution. Oh, wow. So they reconciled in the end. Oh, they reconciled. Oh, I don't know if you know, they both died. They both died on the same day, 4th of July, 50 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Same day, and they do you both died on yes, the same day? Yes, it's in it's in Ken Burns' historic historical telling, and, and it was it's just so remarkable because both of them, in their final days, holding on to the Fourth of July, literally Thomas Jefferson asking, "Are we there yet?" On the third, and his care, caretaker having to say, "We're not there," literally held on to Fourth of July, let go, right? Wow. Put his his brick in the wall. You know, my, hundreds of miles, thousands of miles away is John Adams. And his last, as he died on 4th of July, his last words, Thomas Jefferson still lives. Wow. He was wrong because he had died only several hours earlier. <laughs> but can you, I mean, here is, here are these flawed, imperfect, oh, wow. real life men. Mm-hmm. You know, according to the, to the telling, you know, one of them who, who very, you know, very may well have loved his slave. Mm-hmm. A real love relationship, Co- complex as How do hell. you think America, given that that he impregnated a slave, and I mean, and and traveled all over the world with her. Okay, well, has as an American, how should we look on him? Oh, it's such. I a mean, people big just. Question. I mean, such New York City question. just took his statue down yesterday. You know, I think, I'll tell you, I think every community has to decide for itself what's right for its community. Each community evolves differently. So I hate, because I don't, I don't like people coming into Kern County and telling us anything. I really don't. Mm -hmm. Because we know what's going on here, Richard. We know what our misgivings are and our Mm -hmm. hometown heroes are. And we know who we are. So Mm -hmm. they can do what they need to do for that community. Personally, I think that's very unfortunate. Because our history is what our history is. And if you look at this person's actual life, if you look, take Thomas Jefferson, for example, the profound attempts he made to convince his American brothers and sisters to do away with slavery, to do away with oligarchy, control of government. He was so remarkably progressive, surrounded by people who weren't ready for what he had to do. And he took major hits and major losses. And he had to, and and I, I tell you, I really feel a kinship with him as a person who neither party is entirely comfortable with. And who would like me to get in line a little more on things that they really feel are well, litmus tests? I, I, I happen to agree with you, but what would you tell a classroom at a at a at a university of of young idealistic smart kids who who look on to, who 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 learn that Thomas Jefferson impregnated a slave and go Many that times. that yeah not only uh, Sally but you know but. Uh, who look at that and go, I don't care what else he did. Right. That is almost, that's an original sin of power and, and gender and shame. I don't care what else he did. You know, take the statue down. He's nothing to me. Take him off the bill. What do you tell people like that? No person is captured in any honesty without incredible flaws, mm-hmm. without incredible moral misgivings. Imagine, Richard, all our moral misgivings on the cover of the Bakersfield, California. Oops, yeah. No human being can pass that test. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we idealize leaders in the wrong ways, okay? Mm-hmm. What Thomas Jefferson said should be the test of leadership is virtue and ability. Virtue and ability. Mm-hmm. 
that simple test would eliminate most of our politicians. Let's not pretend. Mm -hmm. But can we tell you something I learned in that Kim Burns series? Another complex issue. Thomas Jefferson, it died basically bankrupt. Mm -hmm. He had to sell his, his the, every, the most important thing in the world to him was his library. He had to sell it to the, to the federal government. It actually became the corpus of the Library of Congress, uh -huh. if you can believe that. Okay. Of course, he bought a bunch more because he just couldn't live without his books. <laughs> but nonetheless, he died with, and his creditors didn't have the heart to take Monticello from him. Oh, really? When he left it, a little a bit dilapidated, it was a Jewish family that purchased Monticello and maintained it out of respect and love and gratitude for Thomas Jefferson's devotion to religious freedom. Really? So I it's no in Ken Burns. You don't it's, trust me, you okay. trust Ken Burns. All right. It's in the series. What's the name of this uh, series? It's just Ken Burns' two-part series on Amazon okay. on Thomas Jefferson. And I'll tell you, for those that, that want to hold a Thomas Jefferson to a standard of, of, of what is today, mm -hmm. what we would think, for example, about slavery, which mm -hmm. is, of course, absolutely abhorrent and, and disgusting on a level that is hard to comprehend. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would invite you to take a look at these series about their humanity. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I would argue that his relationship, based on what I've seen with Sally Hemmings, appears to be a love relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and for you to suggest that two people can't fall in love under really, really miserable circumstances is simply not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, the greatest and most complicated love stories, Shakespeare. And mm -hmm. the, I mean, just look at these, these periods of time and history that uh, we've got a little insight into great leaders and we see how complicated they really are. And, and even in his instance, this is a person who to a Jewish population felt that he fought for their right to be Jewish. Mm -hmm. That's their right. That's their cultural heritage and history. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And what an incredible like brick in the wall of American history yeah. to point to that. I mean, look at these picking up that mantle after Thomas Jefferson for all his complexity, all his sins and victories and all of it, right? Dies in this manner and to have this Jewish family come along and pick up that mantle and say, religious freedom, yeah, it's exceptional. Mm. Religious freedom in America, yeah, we're fighting for it. We get it wrong a lot. We get it right a lot. But if you can, you want to point to anywhere else in this in this globe that is doing the experiment that we are doing here, imperfectly and flawed, you know, I'm sorry it doesn't exist. Mm. It doesn't. And frankly, we have to do better. Yes, we need better leaders. Yes, we need to hold people accountable. Yes, yes, yes. All of it. Mm. All of that is true. Tell me, uh, talking to you, I, I I I haven't met your parents. I'd like to, you know, How nice. because I think behind every interesting and great person are are really interesting and great parents well, that, and and you you said something earlier in in the broadcast about your parents expectations for you when when you were young. talk to me about growing up you went to UC Santa Barbara and right yep I went to local schools so Pioneer Elementary Sierra Junior High Highland High okay I was the captain of the basketball team I ran cross country I did drama the whole nine okay it, it so did would you would you say it was a fairly typical 
uh, childhood? Yes, except that we had tons of foster children. My parents were in the ministry. I read that. So, Tell me about it. You grew up with 10 foster oh, yeah, siblings? More than that. Oh, yeah. Because it was different based on the year you asked. People go, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And I go, what year do you want to know? Literally. Do you have any natural brothers or sisters? Yes, I have a younger sister who graduated from UCLA. Okay. She served in the Army as well, just like my mother. Okay. Uh, so did, a, did her term honorably and was honorably discharged at the end of it became a nurse and now and your lives mom in was a vietnam era my mother nurse? was a vietnam era so get this okay get this when my mother was 17 years old and there was 1968 she graduated she was born at Kern medical in 1950 mm-hmm. graduated from east high in 1968 okay the same year as donnie youngblood if you can believe uh, that right, right. her like, right. they didn't know each other but you know they were you know, different parts of the same uh. Uh, American spirit, no doubt. Mm-hmm. My mother, very cynical teenager in the in the height of the start of the Vietnam War, right? 68 was big. Three months before she graduated high school, cynical, you know, marginalized teenager, was drugged to 40 acres when Robert Kennedy came here when she was 17. Her and her sister and their mother, my grandmother, my grandmother drugged them there, and Took my mom there went to see, to see Robert Kennedy break bread with Cesar Chavez 50 yeah. years ago, wow. okay? okay? And because he was striking, you remember, you know yeah, the yeah, great strike yeah, history. Yeah. So my grandmother drugged my mother, cynical teenager, and she said, she told me the story a thousand times. She said, I had no interest in seeing this rich white man. He's coming in from his ivory tower for a photo op. Mm. He doesn't care about our plot here. They were a very poor family. Yeah. And, and, but they were, you know, sh- the grandmother showed up there for some inspiration and my mother was stunned. She said, he's going to have this huge entourage and he's, and he's so important and VIP he doesn't care mm-hmm. about us. It was completely the opposite experience of what she had. 17, cynical, marginalized, poor, no mm-hmm. real future. Turns around and sees Robert Kennedy coming down the hall, just a couple of guys with him, humble, gracious, shaking everyone's hand, full of love. Wow. And she was like that, Mm. heart changed. Mm. Literally like this. She took very seriously what the Kennedy family said, Mm. one about our citizenship as Americans, the incredible privilege it is, and duty that it is, Mm -hmm. uh, Richard. But also seeing that man come down from on high and standing amongst regular people and saying very simply, Richard, you're America too. Not just Latinos. Who's out there? Filipinos, Okies, Blacks. The whole nine, right, that actually make up the cornucopia of Kern County's beautiful labor force mm-hmm. and families, right? Changed her. Three months later, Richard Bean, she graduated from East High and enrolled in the U.S. Army. Wow. A complete cynical American would have, who would have never done such a thing. Enrolls in the U.S. Army, becomes a nurse, cared for amputees as they return from war. Young, you know, 18, yeah. 19, right. p- people you know. Right, yeah, age group absolutely. that come, came back right. different people. Right, came back right. with less limbs, yeah. literally. Yeah. Well, right. she cared for them at Fort Benning, Georgia, and you'll love this. Since that time, changed entirely her sense of her civic duty, her sense of responsibility to use the privilege and talents that they had been given uh, to make the world around you a better place. And so my kid sister, when graduating from UCLA, followed right in my mother's footsteps. And 43 years after my mother left Fort Benning, my kid sister walked right onto that base and provided medical care. At Fort Benning. At Fort Benning for our servicemen and women 43 years after my mother. Why? That good white man got off his his high high horse and came down and said, we're all in this together. 
I don't understand your plight and you don't understand my plight either, mm-hmm. right? right? But here we are locking arms, right? And mm-hmm. saying that, you know, when we flow together, a rising tide lifts all boats. Completely change the trajectory of our entire family. So when we talk about expectations, Richard, when we talk about the way in which we look at our young people and say, what can you do? What can you achieve? And more importantly, what do you owe this country? Mm-hmm. What do you owe your community for your American citizenship? That That's important. Mm-hmm. Those are the values. They're all in us. They're all in us. Mm-hmm. Okay. When our leaders remind them of them, we get right back to them. We need better leaders. Where Where was your father in this? My father was a farm worker kid in this community, started at six, right? Being a farm worker with his family, wow. right? His mother and uh, four siblings left a bad marriage in Texas, came to California. She settled with her four kids, and all five of them were farm workers, all the children, mm-hmm. the, they all worked as a unit, traveled up and down the Central Valley. He lived at different places, mm-hmm. right? Went to high school in Fowler, different, you know, eventually mm-hmm. ended up at Cal State Long Beach. And during the Vietnam War, actually in protest of the war, dropped out with a whole host of these Latino activists kids and just sort of he was a farm worker who worked himself up to go to college and then dropped out and then dropped out like one semester before graduation whoa went back at 60 and got his ba later and now is the chaplain at the local jail you would love him excellent he's the real deal real deal excellent real christian and 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 your parents reaction to you going into politics has been what you know it's up and down uh they worried During, for your, yes. that you're, their, 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 their girl's going to, you're always going to be their little girl that you're going to get hurt or people are going to be unfair. I mean, it's, it's a tough business. It's a sharp elbow business. You know, it is. I'll tell you something funny. When my mother was in Bible college, she was so strong. It was right here in LABI, Assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. They had a Latino sub-education group to target the future Latino members of that denomination. Mm-hmm. So that's, she ended up going to Bible college there through the GI Bill. We bought our house for $1 down through the GI Bill. That experience in Delano completely changed the trajectory of our family to be able to buy a house for $1 down after having served the country, of Mm -hmm. course, right? Earning that opportunity to get into at least some stability completely changed, uh, completely changed our, our lives and and the opportunities that have been presented to us. And, Mm -hmm. and we've never taken them lightly. I'll tell you that. Uh, but my dad ended up uh, back here. He was actually <laughs> arrested at the L.A. Moratorium riot 50 years ago in Los Angeles with a big afro and bell bottoms. <laughs> and in that jail, he swears to it. I've never known a more honest person in my life. Swears to it that he cried out and said, this is not right for me. This, the lifestyle just wasn't right for him. He'd always been a very moral man. And he didn't like the lifestyle. And he said, get me out of here, and uh, I will change the, tra- the, the direction of my life. And he did, and he became really sold out, him and my mm. mother. They met, and six months later, they married with the ministry in mind, not even a terribly romantic courtship, frankly. Mm. People just really in that spirit, right, of the yeah, 70s right. kind of take action and, 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 you know, take responsibility for your community, your neighborhood. And that's what they did, and so they went and, and became and educated. Where, where did their commitment to, the, to fostering children come from? You know, we got, they got back to Bakersfield. I was about two years old and they began the ministry and it was so apparent that families were incredibly broken and that the, the community really had just a lot of soul injuries from trauma and decades of substance abuse and promiscuity and, you know, not really focusing on 
the family unit and, and building strong communities. And they are just absolutely, completely committed to do everything mm-hmm. in their power to do something about it, put their brick in the wall, if you will, for the time that they were here. They're absolutely adamant about it. And so they raised a bunch of foster kids. My mother was one of nine, and there was one boy, so 10 total. So your mom was a foster child? No, my mother in her family was one of 10. Oh, one, uh, so we ended up, in addition okay. to the foster kids, raising a bunch of a bunch of her nieces and nephews too and frankly we came in touch with foster kids through the church because a lot of kids would be runaways through the foster system Uh they would literally pop up on our doorstep i mean some of the siblings end up living a decades with uh ended it came to us stay in touch with with, with, absolutely interesting absolutely you consider them like your brothers and sisters or yes and um Sometimes even closer than my own uh, blood wow. relatives. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. We're just, you know, relationships are choices, right? Yeah, right. right. And just blood, you know, blood relationships often, they, the studies tell us they end as often as yeah. romantic relationships. Yeah. I mean, family relationships are very complicated. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so, you know, the older you get, the more you see, you know, I want to be around the Richard Beans of the world. Yeah. I really do. I want to be around the Donna Youngbloods of the world who are taking hits mm-hmm. to do something courageous and say, you know, let's look at leaders in a different way. All that race and party stuff is, you know, yeah. that, that, that really is a major distraction to the character of individuals, their virtue and their ability to actually deliver for people. Mm-hmm. That should be our focus. Talk to me. We're going to run out of time here. We're, we're pushing 50 minutes here. Okay. But, uh, let, let's talk about... Uh, let's assume you run for this assembly district. California is, is is in a really interesting spot right now. On the one hand, we have this incredible surplus. On the other hand, we have a very very divided state. Uh, we have uh, we have a lot of issues with homelessness, with 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 fentanyl, with drug addiction. When you move in here, what will you what do you what do you see as some of the hardest things we have to tackle here uh, that you can contribute to on a state level, particularly being part of the majority party? We have to build community at the local level. Richard, it's the only way. It's the only way to see each other in a new light. I cannot look at you and see a white male. I cannot look at you and see a Republican or whatever. whatever. But isn't that going against what the whole tribal instincts of American politics now, that we are defined by the color of our skin and to to a large degree and who we look like, not who we look look like? Differences of opinion, but not principle. The problem, Richard, is that we put our identity into boxes and things that on the outside give us an impression. We're all guilty of it. The reality is the character of an individual is established, frankly, in their earliest years of life. Mm-hmm. Earliest years, zero to five, is when you really principles of morality, I'll tell you, Aristotle was very clear about this issue. Mm-hmm. Aristocracy, unfortunately, has been become another term of art in American mm-hmm. politics, but what is meant by aristocracy or what Aristotle said should be our leadership standard is all about virtues, mm-hmm. legitimately Real virtues of courage, of honor, of duty, not fearlessness. There's no such thing as fearlessness. Mm. You think it's easy to take a 4-1 vote and always be that Mexican out, mm. on, the, out mm. on the fringes? No, right. it's not. It's not fun at all. I'm trying to figure out how to win hearts and minds with these guys because I believe it's possible. Yeah. I really do. And there are many moments in when we shine that way. But I think 
we've got to reassess our tribe. We're Americans, first and foremost, Richard. Mm -hmm. And I'm so guilty of all the racial labels I put on people. I, I, it's a habit, and I got to break out of it. Because I just do don't, I don't believe it anymore, Richard. I don't believe that race tells us anything about anybody, mm -hmm. in particular, whether they're good. Yeah, right. I mean, how many mm -hmm. mediocre white folks get advanced to the top? We mm -hmm. assume they know some because they got positive exactly. stereotypes. Exactly. How many, how many right. black and brown ta talent and skillful people just don't reach their potential because we assume they're not competent enough? We all do it, Richard. We do it to each other. We do it to ourselves. And it's just not true. It could be true, but it isn't necessarily true. And we should hold individuals and all of us to the standard of our conduct and our behavior. Everybody should be held well, to the standard of their actual you, you behavior. You just made a lucid argument to avoid labels, but if I were to label you and I said, "Okay, you you go to you go to Sacramento as more of a centrist of what a lot of people in the valley how they view Democrats," how do you move? How do you? Or number one, do you see? Do you think that we've gone too far on some of the, for example, the law that says you know the, the law that triggers all these people, you know? clearing out CVSs and all Walgreens and, 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 and Nordstrom's these laws that say, you know, these that have decriminalized everything from drug use to, to theft. Are, are those on your, I mean, where do you stand on that? And is that something that you think that, that you can play a role that we've gone too far? It, absolutely. It's tragic to think that one, that one group of Americans has to lock up and hide stuff that belongs to them from mm. other Americans. Mm. I, I just think that is such a travesty, that such a lack of respect, a lack of boundaries, a lack of honor exists within our society. And I, the only way around that, Richard, is to build community. It's the only way. The laws, it, laws, are, laws are just, they're such cheap ways of pretending we're actually doing something in society. <laughs> It really, it really is. Yeah, right. I believe it wholeheartedly. I believe yeah. the partisan crap is such excuse for not delivering for people. Because I'm in Kern County, okay? I got lynched by the DA in Kern County. Let's not <laughs> pretend, okay? And let me tell you, Richard, the vast majority of people here are not okay with it. They're not. They don't necessarily know what to do. They necessarily have the words or great speeches to give or even know what the heck is real, okay? People are not what those guys are telling us. I just don't believe it, Richard. And I think the more of us who say, we don't accept your version of America, I accept the Thomas Jefferson version of America, a flawed, imperfect person who tried like hell to change the world around mm -hmm. him. He was one man in a society completely indebted to this mm -hmm. immorality that we, and many others, they're endless. The list goes on and on and on. Talk, say nothing of the treatment of women around the entire globe. Right. We can, we'll sit here till we're blue in the face. I don't believe their narrative. I don't believe it, Richard. Why? Because I live in Red Kern County. I live here. I look at the Richard Beans of the world. Mm -hmm. I'm watching the Donnie Youngbloods of the world, mm -hmm. struggling to figure out how to get to the table and, and build friendship and dignity with people without mm -hmm. losing your own sense that you're an American and you get to think the way you want. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, those are, you know, I just, I think we have to stop believing that narrative and we have to be honest well, it's good about to hear. what we and know. You, you talk about the power of one person. You think of the, how, how uh, meeting Bobby Kennedy changed your mom's life. You know, I mean, how one person, one-on-one -on -one can influence an entire family, an entire generation, 
that an entire community, an entire community, an entire community to, to think as good Americans. I don't mean just for partisan gains. I mean, he was a Democrat, obviously. Mm. There's implications there. But I mean, you know, to look at your citizenship and your Americanism above that. I believe in the two-party system, by the way. I believe mm. in a checks and balances. Mm -hmm. I think we've got to have voices contending with each other all the time. But the truth is, the vast majority of us are in the center. We're disappointed by our leadership because they're not delivering the kind of results that we think should be delivered. Because, Richard, we make magic here. When the taxpayer and you, we just like create our own solutions mm. and we like, go do it. <laughs> you can't tell me it's that hard, people. You make a lot of money and you got a lot of prestige. You got to do better. And we're going to, we have to keep demanding it of them. Uh, Leticia Perez, I I've spent an hour with you. I so value your time Thank here. You. I know you're busy. I value your friendship. I value you. We broke a little news here. It looks like uh, you will be running for the state assembly seat, being vacated by Rudy Salas, assuming, and let's assume, that your residence stays within the district map and it ends up to be a Kern County district, which appears we're headed that way. We will get you back on and talk a little bit more about that. You will come back on the show? I would love to. And I want to tell you at some point about this experience I had with all these Trumpers that thought they didn't like me, but then fell in love with me at the Ooh. White House. It's so encouraging. Really, it is. I mean, we have our differences. But with your help, Bean, they are differences of opinion and not principle. Thank you. The American way is the only way. It's the light of the world. We've got to maintain it. It's worth it. Okay, with that, let's see you press. Thank you very much. Signing off. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. That was so fun. Woo! That was great. Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting.